We turn this day to Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. I invite you to listen for God's living word. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I admit it. I like all of the Jan Karen books in the Mitford series. I'm not sure how many of you have read any of them, but they follow the life of an Episcopal priest, Father Tim, as he ministers and lives in a town in North Carolina. One of the primary reasons I like them is because Ms. Karen writes about clergy in a way that demonstrates our full humanity. She doesn't make us out to be either heroes or villains. She doesn't paint clergy to be bumbling simpletons, but she simply lets Father Tim live and work as his full, beautiful, and broken self. In the very first book of that series at home in Mitford, she writes about an encounter that Father Tim has with a stranger in the sanctuary of the small Episcopal parish that Tim oversees. One evening, just after dark, Father Tim walks into the sanctuary. He doesn't expect to see anyone, but he realizes there is a man sitting in one of the pews. Father Tim starts to offer the man some help, but quickly notices that the man's head is bowed in prayer. Eventually, the man's prayers become more audible, and Finally, the stranger lifts his face toward the ceiling, his voice rising to a shrill scream and shouts, If you're up there, prove it! Father Tim slips into the pew next to the stranger and responds, I think the question is not, are you up there? But rather the question might be, are you down here? Are you down here? We continue this morning in our Apostles' Creed sermon series, and we are finally to Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, including our journey through Holy Week, we will explore just how God showed us God was down here in the middle of our own beautiful and broken humanness and all the implications that flow from God's decision Today, though, we still remain at a rather high level. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Though it might not initially seem like it, that one statement is a whole mouthful of thick theological claims. And we will think together about some of the ethical and moral implications of that statement through the lens of the Philippian text we just heard. But First, I want us to pay attention to one small thing, the word in. We use in only three times in this creed. 
all related to the triune God. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Ghost or Spirit. Those distinct yet interdependent persons of our triune God are the only, the only objects of our belief. Now, we certainly believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth. We believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. We believe that our sins are forgiven, but we only believe in God, our creator, sustainer, redeemer. Another way to think of believing in, of course, is to go back to the original Latin for the word belief, credo. And credo has the root that means I give my heart. So when we claim we believe in God the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we are claiming it is only to this three-in-one God do we give our full hearts, our whole lives. Someone recently asked me what the criteria is for membership in the church, specifically Fourth Church. And honestly, while membership carries with it many responsibilities, the only true criteria is a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's not even required or expected that we will have figured out all that that profession means. Baptism is always the beginning of the journey. It's never the end. Rather, when we respond to that question with a, I do, we are indicating we are willing to give our heart to following God in the way of Jesus. We are affirming that we will do our best to live into trusting, as I say at every baptism, that the truest truth of who we are is that we are one of God's beloved ones and that we promise to demonstrate that belovedness through discipleship. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. That is the one to whom we give our heart and for whom we live our lives. As I indicated, we're considering this part of the creed through the lens of this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. You might remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he was sitting in an imperial prison, quite possibly in Ephesus, and he was aware that his confinement could end with his execution. And yet, even amidst such a trying situation, Paul chose to reach out to this congregation with encouragement and with guidance. The congregation in Philippi was undoubtedly, like we always are too, struggling to be faithful, worried about the future, and in need of guidance as they dealt with potentially damaging disagreements amongst themselves. The small church was located in the complex and diverse religious social and political environment of the Roman Empire where the questions of who really was Lord of the world and who deserved their ultimate allegiance and honor were unavoidable and urgent. That picture of Paul writing from jail to a congregation that was trying to remember to whom they truly belonged reminds us of a later martyr of our Christian faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. During his own incarceration prior to his martyrdom under the Nazi regime in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also wrote letters from prison. One of those letters asked these questions, 
What is bothering me incessantly is the question who Christ really is for us today. What do we really believe? I mean, believe in such a way that we stake our lives on it. That is indeed what was happening in Philippi when Paul wrote these words, words we now realize formed an early church hymn. As preacher James Howell writes, to say Christ is Lord is to have the mind of Christ, to think his thoughts, to value his values, to pursue his pursuits. When the first Christian said that Christ is Lord, listeners thought they were dangerous subversives. For if Christ is Lord, then Caesar is not. Just as we recognize the politically rebellious claim that God is the Father Almighty, so we must recognize the politically subversive claim that Jesus is our Christ, the Anointed One, our Lord. For the title Lord Kyrios was claimed by the Roman Emperor Domitian late in the first century. As a church historian stated, this claim meant that he was the supreme ruler and that no one could challenge or even rival his authority. His attitude led to the persecution of both Christians and Jews who insisted that God was the only true Lord, far above Domitian or any other ruler. Turning again to Bonhoeffer and the struggle in Germany during Hitler's regime, we notice striking similarities. In the 1930s, most German Christian church leaders were lining up behind Hitler and saluting the Nazi forces as God's instruments, God's justice being employed in our world. They exalted the racially pure nation, and they saw Hitler's reign as God's will. But there was another faith perspective taking shape. And in May of 1934, an assembly of 139 ministers, church members, and university professors bravely gathered to write a statement about what they believed, to give words and to take a stand on what it means to claim, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. It was at that assembly that the theological declaration of Barman was born. And this declaration is a part of our PCUSA Book of Confessions, for we believe it guides us in faithful living. Here's just one of six statements they made, quote, In view of the errors of the present Reich administration, we confess these truths. Jesus Christ is the one word of God who we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject all other power and historic figures. We reject the false doctrine that there could be areas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ, but to other lords." End quote. Many of the theologians and church leaders who penned those words were later arrested, and some, like Bonhoeffer, were executed for their complete commitment to living under the lordship of Christ and not under their governing officials who tried to claim that same power. 
Like Paul, they were clear-eyed about the risks they were taking by making those claims, and yet they stood firm. For they, like Paul, knew that we cannot say Christ is Lord without reshuffling our priorities and looking with suspicion at all that our world clings to as precious. Jesus came not so that we could feel different, but so that we could be different. When we make the claim, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, we are rejecting every absolute nationalism in any other unconditional allegiance. But lest we think these temptations only happened back in the day of Paul and the Philippians or in the 1930s in Germany, we must also consider what's going on in our own country with the continuing rise of white Christian nationalism. In January of 2021, Christianity Today, a magazine not exactly known for its progressive religious outlook, featured a conversation between Professor Paul Miller, Global Media Manager Morgan Lee, and Editorial Director Ted Olson, yes, that Ted Olson, about the danger of Christian nationalism. When Professor Miller was asked to define Christian nationalism, he said this, quote, it idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. Christian nationalism believes that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take steps to keep it that way to sustain and maintain our Christian heritage. It's not merely an observation about American history. It's a prescription for what America should do in the future. We should sustain and continue our identity as a Christian nation. It takes Christian symbols, rhetoric, and concepts and weaves it into a political ideology that in its ideal form is idolatrous. He then went on to cite recent research in which the researchers found that 52% of all Americans are what they call ambassadors, those who spend their time, energy, and political activism pushing the ideology. Then Miller continued, there are accommodators, people who are adjacent to Christian nationalism, tolerant of it and accepting enough that they're not going to get in a way. In total, research has found that 78% of self-identified evangelicals are either ambassadors or accommodators of Christian nationalism. That picture is some of what we saw at the Capitol on January the 6th. When we saw crosses and pictures of Jesus amongst the other political signage, we were witnessing what Christian nationalism looks like and the damage that it can do. And the threat of that idolatrous interpretation of our faith is why we must continue to claim and to live, I believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We must keep that thick 
theological claim in the forefront of our minds as we go about our day-to-day lives, as we make our way to ballot boxes, as we have conversation with family and friends who might feel differently. For again, we cannot say Christ is Lord without reshuffling our priorities and looking with suspicion at all the world clings to as precious. Jesus came not just so that we could feel different, but so that we could be different. And trust me, I know that being different might feel threatening sometimes. It might even be risky, even in our own nation in these highly politically charged days, or even in your own family. But as Bonhoeffer asked from his prison cell, who is Christ really for us today? What do we really believe? I mean, believe in such a way that we're willing to stake our lives on it. I believe in Jesus Christ, we proclaim. God's only Son, our Lord, and the only one to whom we give our hearts and the totality of our lives. Amen.